machine. Hello, listeners. I just bought a butterfly net and am on my way back to the attic. Luckily, there was a store right across the street. The shopkeeper gave me a knowing wink and a nod as I paid for the net, as if he was in on a little secret. But I'm quite sure I never met the man before in my life. Why buy a butterfly net, you might ask? At least, that's what I asked myself when Tim told me to buy one before I came to the attic this morning. I still don't know why, but we will find out soon, listeners. I'm already standing at the door to the mansion, and will be back up in the attic in a heartbeat. Maybe I should use the time while I climb the stairs to reflect on what has happened since we found the marble machine up here in this wondersome attic some weeks ago. Both Tim's and my life have changed quite a bit. The marble machine. An unpredictable yet friendly machine that tells stories and is constantly glowing, clicking, and sometimes even murmuring in its otherwise quiet corner of the room. For those of you who don't know, Tim is in telepathic contact with the marble machine and can only speak in sound effects ever since he first touched it. I think I'm the only one who can understand him. But I do plan to teach all you listeners of the podcast a few basics in sound effect language from time to time. From what we know so far, the machine tells stories and lives on ideas. For some reason, it uses me as a mouthpiece. Although I'm not as connected to it as Tim is, I do feel that the marble machine is following some sort of master plan. It's just a feeling, listeners. But I think the machine is up to something. Something that will change the world as we know it. Don't ask me what that something is. It could be anything from trying to enslave humanity or bringing world peace to simply giving us a new recipe for some delicious dessert like hot brownies and vanilla ice cream. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong and it has no purpose at all. Well, here we are again. You hear the sounds in the background? That's Tim talking to the machine. Lately, the marble machine has been communicating very specific demands as to how we should decorate the attic. Hey, Tim. I bought the butterfly net. What's it for? Me and the listeners are a bit curious. Aha. Uh-huh. Makes sense, I guess. Tim says that a butterfly net is essential for fishing invisible ideas before they slip through the cracks of the old attic floor. Tim, I thought our listeners might be interested in learning a few words of your sound effect language, so that I don't always have to explain everything. Maybe just some basics. What do you think, Tim? Is that a good idea? Ah, listeners, that means yes. Let's try one more, Tim. Do you mind not speaking a human language anymore? And that, dear listeners, as you might have guessed, means no. Maybe that's enough for today. So remember, yes and no. There are still three yin-yang green marbles waiting to be eaten, if I remember correctly, and I am sure you are as curious as I am to find out how the story continues. It looks like Tim and the machine have finished talking interior decoration, so I will just take the next marble and...
The Marble Keeper, Part 2, written and narrated by Jacob Graff, recorded and edited by Tim Höfer. Chapter 3 Most of her grandfather's last will contained the usual stuff, like what was supposed to happen with his house and his little savings. The last paragraph, however, was a little more peculiar, or maybe it was the only part of the will that actually sounded like him. It read as follows. Last but not least, I come to my dearest and very personal belongings. There are two treasures I have guarded like an old dwarf for more than three decades. The first is in fact a treasure in its literal and most old-fashioned sense and shall be passed on to my little daughter Lillian Haven Le Fay. Lily, you may share it with your husband George and tell him that I bless his soul for looking after you so well. You will find it behind the oil painting in the basement. The bricks in the wall are a little loose, and if you take out the right ones, you will find a hollow space where I hid the wooden chest. The gold coins and the jewelry in it are worth a small fortune, and you may do with it whatever you desire. But I would like you to think of it as a symbolic treasure too. I want you to know that every piece you find inside the chest had once belonged to your mother, Tora La Fay. The second treasure is my collection of marbles. All thirteen boxes shall be passed on to our little princess, Claudia Haven La Fay. Lillian and George, I apologize for the stories I have made your daughter believe. Don't worry. There won't be any more of those now. I promise. Claudia always loved the marbles, though, so please don't keep them from her. I told her that the thirteenth box, the only one locked and made of ebony wood, is a secret box. I would very much appreciate it that the key to it shall be handed to her and her only. If you read this, Lily, it means that I have not succeeded in arranging for you and your mother to meet. Please believe me that I have tried everything in my power to do so. But even now, as I am old, and my heart is losing its grip on life, I still have hope that you two might one day meet, and hopefully she will get to know Claudia too. They are, in a way, very much alike, you know. The fact that Claudia's grandfather had owned a fortune and had kept it hidden in his basement like a pirate, didn't surprise Lillian half as much as the fact that he had tried to arrange a meeting with her mother. For all Lillian knew, her mother had died a long, long time ago. A part of Lillian was a little angry at her father for being so mysterious, and that even now, in his last will, he left her in uncertainty. But a much greater part felt love for the old man. And without a second thought, she respected everything in his will and let Claudia have the marble collection along with the tiny silver key. A strange thing had started happening to Claudia the day her grandpa died. Whenever she closed her eyes, she saw an image of the ebony box inside her mind. Claudia was speechless when her mother came into her room one evening, carrying all 13 boxes with her and telling her, that the marble collection belonged to her now. This must be a special one, her mother said, smiling, 
and handed Claudia the ebony box. It had a tiny lock on it and you needed a silver key to open it. A key that Claudia's grandfather had always kept on a necklace made of beautiful golden string. I don't know all the stories you two shared, but this will look beautiful on you, her mother said, putting the necklace over her daughter's head. Maybe you'll tell me some of them one day. Claudia nodded, her eyes shining bright. As soon as her mother left the room, Claudia opened the first ivory box and took out a marble she had looked at many times when her grandpa had still been with her. Although it had been a while, her gift for seeing magic had remained unchanged. She looked at the ebony box. Something about it still made her nervous. She wondered why she had felt so strangely attached to it lately. Now it was up to her to open it. She thought about the black marbles and what might happen when she looked into one of them. Maybe she would die of shock, she thought. Or maybe she would feel miserable for the rest of her life because she wasn't strong enough to help the poor souls who hadn't fulfilled their dreams. In the past, things had been easy, she thought. Whenever she didn't know what to do, she would just ask her grandfather for advice. Suddenly it struck her like a flash of lightning. Her grandfather! Of course! Why hadn't she thought of this earlier? One of the first things he had told her was that every person that follows a dream in his life creates a marble when he dies. Claudia nearly fell over her chair as she realized it. Her grandfather must have had a dream in his life too. His marble must still be inside the room he had died in. Claudia rushed into the room, searching every corner and turning over every pillow. She looked everywhere pulled back blankets, searched under the bed and under the mattress, but without any success. It took her a second to clear her thoughts, and she tried to remind herself of all that her grandfather had taught her about finding magic marbles. A marble keeper feels it when a new marble appears. Tiny, barely noticeable impulses hit him and then pass by again. If he doesn't set his mind to it, he won't even notice them for what they are. But if he concentrates, the impulses become stronger, become an image, like a map in his heart, leading him right to the place where the new marble lies. She closed her eyes, and there it was again, the image of the ebony box. She focused it, and suddenly her heart began to beat. And then she knew. Without a second thought, she went to her room, took the key from her necklace, and opened the black box. Something made her flinch and turn away as the lid swung open. But she forced herself to look inside. She counted 16 black marbles. Claudia's eyes wandered swiftly across each marble, never resting on one for too long, so she wouldn't risk what her grandfather had called the dream gaze. At first she thought her grandfather's marble wasn't among them, because there was no white fogged marble anywhere in the box but soon she noticed that one of the black ones was different from all the others. It looked softer, more sort of egg-shaped, and not quite as round as the others. It takes time for them to take shape, she whispered her grandfather's words. No way, this can't be, she thought. Claudia was certain that if anyone in the world would have fulfilled his dream in life, it would have been her grandfather. He couldn't have left behind a black marble, she thought. Claudia was scared, but for the sake of her grandfather, she took the black, squishy marble out of the box, looked inside, 
and let the dream gaze begin. She looked into the marble and watched the black fog as it oozed out of the marble, spreading all around her and filling every inch of the room. Moments later, everything around her had vanished into total blackness. She felt cold and lonely. Claudia had seen a lot of magic dreams and knew how real they could get. So she tried to stay calm and waited. A hard frost was settling on the tips of her hair and somewhere in the distance she heard voices calling from out of the dark. Where is he gone? I'll burn him alive if I find him, yelled one of them. After him, screamed another angrily out of the shadows. Must be here somewhere, the closest voice called. But before Claudia could see who was shouting, a young man stepped into sight and came rushing past her. He carried a little boy in his arms, maybe a year or two younger than Claudia herself. The man and the little boy were obviously on the run and Claudia instinctively began to follow them. She had to focus to keep up and soon she found herself breathing very hard. Her heart felt like it was about to burst and the taste of iron filled her mouth. That was when she felt the panic kick in. Claudia tried to think straight and some odd feeling made her look up at the sky. Storm's coming, she thought nervously. It felt so real. She knew the fear she felt came from the person whose dream she was in, but she was scared nonetheless. The young man had stopped running for a moment and turned to face Claudia. As the moonlight revealed his face, she recognized that the young man standing before her was her grandfather, John Haven. Another light from behind her threw more shadows on his face and Claudia turned around to see four men approaching armed with torches and knives. She felt her grandfather focus on the weather. The marble keeper took the boy in his arms and ran. He ran down a steep hill and Claudia followed. When they reached the bottom of the hill, she heard something familiar, something that she loved with all her heart, the sound of breaking waves. The sea was rough and the waves loomed majestically into the nightly sky, like dark walls of tar crashing down onto the rocky shore. The wind was strong, and thunder in the distance announced that a storm would break loose any minute now. The marble keeper's rowing boat was swinging up and down in the black water amid the rocks. Quick now, they're coming, the marble keeper said to the boy and sat him down inside the boat. Claudia saw the fear in the little boy's face and wanted to help him. She couldn't say how long exactly she stood there looking pitiful at the boy in the boat. And then she looked up and saw her grandfather returning, dragging another man with him and holding a knife to the stranger's neck. Holding the man prisoner, they rowed out to the open sea and into the heart of the storm. Claudia looked at the prisoner, and the marble's magic revealed his dark nature to her. She understood why the boy that lay huddled in the front of the boat felt nothing but fear and disgust for him. Then her grandfather forced the man to jump into the blackness of the sea. Thunder cracked and made the earth of two worlds shake. A storm broke loose and giant waves came towering in from everywhere, lashing out at the tiny rowing boat like the tongues of black serpents. Its wood creaking and cracking, the boat fought desperately so that it would not get sucked into the bottomless belly of the beast. Then a wave lifted the tiny nutshell into the air, so suddenly that it whirled Claudia around, making her stomach turn upside down. This isn't really happening. It's all just Grandpa's memories, she told herself, 
as the ice-cold water drenched her clothes and made her blood freeze. She found herself paddling helplessly between the waves. Seawater and foam constantly splashing in her face, making it hard to breathe. Water entered her lungs, stinging like a thousand needles. She panicked as a terrible thought struck her. Could the magic inside a black marble actually kill her? John Haven felt his life at stake, but all he could think of was the little boy. Was it a wave that had just catapulted him out of the boat and into the water? Or had they hit a reef? If the boy had fallen into the water too, with a storm like that, he wouldn't survive another minute. For all the marble keeper knew, the kid probably couldn't even swim. The moon was full and just hung there in the sky, looking down at the marble keeper like the eye of some giant cat, watching him struggle like a mouse as the forces of nature threatened to drown him. It had been his duty to save the child, to give him the chance of a new life. Now it seemed that all he could offer was a quick death. He was just about to give up hope when he saw something move in the water beneath him. His arms felt tiny and helpless, searching through the endless black ocean. But he still kept diving deeper down into the abyss, desperately clinging on to the last bit of hope that he still might find the boy. Then, as his hope faded, the words of his old mentor came to his mind. The teachings of old say that the sun and the moon are gatekeepers between the worlds. Magical beings, creatures of the in-between, guarding the gates where the borders of our world and the world of fairy meet. Then he saw it again, only this time, clearly. It was a little bright star, floating there, right beneath him in the water. So close that he could almost reach out and touch it. But when he did, it just disappeared. Claudia felt her grandfather's panic rush through her body, and then everything went silent. Trapped in nothingness, for what seemed like a century, she stood, unable to move, speak, or feel. Finally, a little peak of light fell into the blackness, and the next thing she knew was that she sucked in a breath and felt her senses come back to her. She opened her eyes just to shut them again, because a light as bright as the sun itself was blinding her. After blinking a couple of times, the light became more bearable, and she saw that she was standing inside a huge hall. Beautiful mirrors decorated the walls around her, making the hall seem even larger. The entire ceiling was the painting of a jungle. The shades of green were fading together so vividly that it seemed as though the plants and trees were actually moving. Another curious thing about the hall was that there were no windows or doors anywhere. No way in and no way out. Fountains made of diamonds, pearls, rubies and other precious stones stood in the four corners of the hall. Every fountain had a different statue in its corner that poured water into the diamond basins. The first fountain had a tiger statue, the second the statue of a dragon, and the third a white unicorn with an ivory horn reaching out of its forehead. Claudia watched her grandfather as he walked up to the unicorn fountain. Chapter 4 The marble keeper looked around and knew that he had come to a place that only very few men before him had ever entered. 
a stronger magic than anything he had ever thought existed came thrumming through the air. So the old stories were true after all, he thought. And as he stood there in the hall before the fountain, he knew that he had just entered the magical world of fairy. The taste of seawater felt dry in the marble keeper's mouth and throat, and he decided to drink some water from the basin of the unicorn fountain. The first drop had barely touched his lips when he felt a sudden rush of energy flow through his whole body. Looking down into the basin, he saw a woman with dark, wavy hair looking back at him from under the surface of the water. Her deep, brown eyes stared right into his heart, and he felt as if his whole chest had been set on fire. Instead of hurting, though, the fire made him feel alive. Not really knowing what he was doing, the marble keeper put his hand into the basin to touch the hand of the lady, and when he did, she smiled at him. Her smile carried the warmth of summer and washed away every last shiver of frost the marble keeper had felt. He didn't really feel the water as the lady with the dark hair pulled him into the basin. She showed him an underwater tunnel and led him through it until they reached another hall. This second hall was quite different from the first and looked more like a ballroom of some sort. And the first thing the marble keeper noticed was that unlike the first, this hall was filled with life. Magnificently dressed men and women, all praised with the beauty of youth, were dancing everywhere. The music seemed foreign, yet familiar at the same time. A soft, harmonic tune played by instruments the marble keeper couldn't name. Walking through the crowd, he saw that right in the middle of the ballroom, amid the dancing men and women, stood a creature that he had only heard of before in fairy tales. A unicorn, the marble keeper whispered, as the beast threw its white mane back majestically. The lady with the black hair came up to the marble keeper, and then she spoke for the first time. She is called Lady Lucilla, mortal Queen of the Unicorn Court, first of the three courts of the Dancing Fae. Fairy, the marble keeper whispered in amazement. This castle is part of the everlasting kingdoms, yes, she said, smiling at him like one might smile at a child who is still too young to understand certain things. John Haven remembered that his mentor had told him about the strict rules of courtesy that most fairies live by, and he decided to take a deep bow before the lady with the brown hair, and then said, Forgive me, my lady. All I know of your world are stories that were told to me when I was still a little child. The woman of the dancing fae laughed. No need to bow, young mortal. Follow me. Come, meet the queen of the unicorn court who let me save you from the storm, she said, and led him through to the white unicorn. My queen, this is John Haven of the mortal world, the lady with the dark wavy hair said, kneeling down, and then the unicorn queen spoke. Leave me with the mortal, Torah, the queen ordered in a soft, melodious tone. The lady with the dark hair nodded, bowed to her queen, and went away. The marble keeper turned and looked back after Tora, watching her join the rest of the dancing fae. And as he stood there, not even caring that a talking unicorn and queen of fairy was standing right next to him, he felt it deep inside his heart. The marble keeper 
John Haven had just fallen in love. Only vaguely do I recall the last mortal who set foot in my castle, but I still remember how his warm blood spilt onto my ballroom floor, not far from where you stand right now, because he tried to betray me. The Unicorn Queen spoke, drawing the Marble Keeper's attention back to her immediately. My Queen, the Marble Keeper gulped, I have no intentions to threaten or betray anyone. Oh, of course you don't. But there is always more to a man than meets the eye. A strong magic flows inside you today. Different from mine, but nonetheless potent. Her head swayed towards the lady with the dark hair dancing. Look at my little Tora la Fay, a true warrior lady of the Unicorn Court. But tonight she is confused, as are you. Maybe I can be of help, the Unicorn Queen said, and lowering her head, she let the tip of her horn touch the head of the Marble Keeper. He took a step back, startled for a second, and then he felt an important thought return to him, a thought that had slipped through his memories ever since he had entered Fairy. The boy, he shouted. There was a storm. I, I couldn't save him. Oh, but you can save him still the Unicorn Queen said. You have the gift to see magic. Your heart showed you a way to the gates of fairy. That is why I didn't stop Tora to take an interest in you. The Unicorn Queen let out a breath, and a white cloud appeared before her nostrils, and in it the Marble Keeper saw the sea, and he saw the little rowing boat and the little boy, still cuddled together, shivering and praying for the storm to end. He is alive! The Marble Keeper shouted. Can, can you bring me back to him, Your Grace? Ah, mortals. Always straight to the point, aren't you? Always scared that time will run out. You have called for the help of the Dancing Fae, and one of my sisters has answered you. I will let you return to the boy on the big lake in due time. Trust me, mortal. He won't even have noticed that you were gone. The Marble Keeper bowed deeply. You have saved my life. How can I ever repay you? No need, mortal. Every action leads to another. My decision of letting you step into our world has already borne many consequences. The Unicorn Queen neighed and nodded her head towards the lady with the dark hair. Tora has been obsessed with the world of mortals ever since she was a child. A strange habit that I do not share, but apparently she took an interest in the struggles of your kind. I remember a time in which wizards, warlocks, and witches were more common in your world. Some of the more skilled performers of their art had found ways to cross over into our kingdoms. Back in those days, mortals and fairies fought side by side against common enemies. But when the days of magic in your world ended, and the gates between our worlds were sealed, strict laws were established that forbade the Fae to interfere with the mortal business. Good, sensible laws, in my opinion. Few laws, however, still exist that allow us to open the gates from time to time. The Queen lowered her head again, this time touching the Marble Keeper's chest with her horn. Look into your heart, Mortal son, what do you see? 
the marble keeper concentrated on his heart magic and saw Torah. Ah, the queen said. So I thought. The unicorn came to stand next to the marble keeper. Now, only time can tell the future. The marble keeper didn't know what to say, and for some time he and the queen just stood still watching Torah. Then the unicorn queen sighed and lowered her head. Save a soul of those who die, and in two hearts thy fate shall lie. Your grace? the marble keeper asked a little irritated. The first words of an old law in our world. By saving your life, Lady Torah has put her own at risk, she said. The marble keeper's eyes widened. It is written in the laws of old that when a dancing fae saves a mortal by bringing him to our world, the fairy hereby agrees to give up his or her own life for the one that has been saved. The unicorn queen turned her head and looked the marble keeper straight in the eye. Tora la fay chose her own death to save your life. Why in the world would she do something like that? The marble keeper gasped. You said yourself that the laws were old. You are the queen. For Tora's sake, change them. The unicorn neighed and a drop of anger stirred her voice. Such simple minds you mortals have. Only a weak leader would even think of changing the laws of old. The king of the tiger court lures outside the gates of my castle as we speak, waiting for just such a display of weakness. As much as I care for Lady Tora, I can't lead my brothers and sisters into a war for the life of just one warrior. You're saying she must die for saving me? Not must, the queen continued. There is a way to spare her life. The queen became quiet for a moment. Save a soul of those who die, and in two hearts thy fate shall lie, she said again. Your grace, I beg you tell me, what can I do to save her? The unicorn queen closed her eyes for a short moment. It is not in your hands alone, young mortal. The old fae say that there was once a gift passed from the queen of fairy to the king of mankind. A gift that was given to remind the mortals that even in their world, not all things must come to an end. Love is the name of that gift, and it stands for the bond that once existed between our worlds. The old laws say that if true love is in both your hearts, her life can be spared. The queen moved her head down to the marble keepers. If I see that true love exists between you and Torah, I can spare her life without breaking the old laws. Raising her head, the unicorn queen shivered, and her eyes began to burn in a bright white light, a sudden wave of rage painting the sharp lines of anger upon her face. Torah! The music stopped immediately, and Torah attended to her queen. Six moons, use the time wisely to feel what truly lies within your heart. When the sun rises after the sixth moon, the mortal must return to his world.
and your fate shall be decided. Yes, my queen, Tora said and bowed. Leave now, Lady Tora, and escort the mortal to his chambers. Tora took the marble keeper by the hand, and they left through a door at the far side of the ballroom. The surroundings changed, and Claudia no longer stood in the ballroom, but was now standing high up on a mountain plateau with the unicorn queen, her grandfather, and Tora Le Fay. Six moons have passed, the unicorn queen spoke, and after looking within both your hearts, I am still undecided. I see a strong magic between you, and more than that, the unicorn queen touched Tora's belly. She is with child, she said, and looked at the marble keeper. A daughter. I will name her Lillian Haven Le Fay. Claudia gasped when she heard the queen mention her mother's name. I know too little of mortal men to judge if the love I see inside of you is sincere, the unicorn queen continued. Therefore time again shall decide what is to come. Lady Taurus' fate will be sealed when your time in the mortal world ends, John Haven. But until that day, you must never set foot on fairy ground again. If she is still in your heart, the moment you die, I shall spare Lady Tora's life. As for the half-mortal child, I will bring it to you as soon as it is born, for it is forbidden to raise a half-blood within the palace walls. The marble keeper couldn't believe what the queen was saying. I must leave and never return until I die, even though the woman I love is pregnant with my daughter? John Haven asked, raising the voice, but Tora came close and whispered softly in his ear. Don't you see the intention that lies behind her words? My queen is doing this to save me. If it is not true love that we feel for each other, she must kill me. At least this way I can still serve my queen for as long as you live. But there is true love between us. She can judge us right here and now he answered back. Even though I am immortal, I fear that I am in some ways less free than you, John. What is between us is for my queen alone to decide. For the first time in many years, tears came to the marble keeper's eyes, and as Claudia saw her grandfather cry, the setting changed once more, and the marble took her back to the mortal world and back to the little boat where the young boy still lay shivering with cold and fear. The storm had passed, and her grandfather was sitting by the boy's side, calmly rowing the little boat across the ocean and over onto the shore. Claudia watched her grandfather and the boy walk through a city at night, until they stopped at the doorway of a beautiful old house. A man with dark hair opened the door, spoke to the marble keeper, and smiled a friendly smile. Then he bent down to give the boy a hug, and for the first time in years, the boy didn't feel any fear. He felt safe. He felt at home. The marble keeper stood alone in the street and fumbled with something inside his pocket. He took the young woman's marble, and as he looked at it, the black fog vanished until there was just a snowy white marble with a happy little boy playing with a sleigh and many other children 
playing along with him on a snowy hill. John Haven had made the young woman's dream come true, but left the woman he loved behind in another world, to which he was never to return to again. At last the marble showed Claudia her grandfather at an old age, lying in bed, dying, and she was sitting right by his side again, holding his hand, only this time she felt that his soul would remain forever restless if he never found out what had become of his love and Claudia's grandmother, Tora La Fay. Welcome back, listeners. That was part two of four. Sorry, I'm a bit out of breath. I'm trying to catch ideas with the butterfly net, and it's not as easy as I thought. Especially the fact that ideas are invisible makes the job quite frustrating. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Marble Machine Podcast. If you enjoyed it and want Tim and me to continue and keep the Marble Machine Podcast alive, visit us on our new Patreon page and become a patron. Donate whatever you can give. Also, check out our website for news and behind-the-scenes material. Hear us soon. And be on the lookout for the next Marble Will Drop. <laughs>